Uh, well, good morning. Uh, very quickly add my welcome to Rob's. My name's Owen, uh, the minister in charge here in St. Catharines. It's great to have you here, especially if you are a guest, if you're here for the first time. Um, as Rob has already said, this morning we are starting into a six-week series, uh, teaching series, where we're going to be working through the six chapters uh, of the book of Galatians. Uh, so if you've got your Bible in front of you, or if you read your Bible on your phone, take that out, and we're going to be reading from uh, chapter 1, all of chapter 1, uh, uh, verses 1 to 24. Uh, Elaine is going to read for us and pray uh, as we begin. Uh, over to you, Elaine. Greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. There is only one good news. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be a Christ servant. Paul's message comes from Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. 
Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that we're here present today and that we get the opportunity to learn and do this series of Galatians. It's always a wonder to me how you sit at the Bible and you discover something new each time you open it. And I pray, Lord, that this is an opportunity for those new to the Bible and those who are very familiar with it to learn something new. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the discernment of own. We thank you, Father God, for his um, opportunity to preach on this series. And I pray, Father, that our hearts are open, our ears are open, our minds are open, and that we walk away today with a new, fresh word from you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that you do, Lord. Thank you for your ongoing presence. And thank you that you chose Paul to direct us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great, thanks, Elaine. Just before I jump into what I've prepared, I just wanted to really quickly say something about what happened during worship. Um, when often when the church gathers together, and we are opening ourselves up to who God is, one of the things that will often happen is that he will speak to us, he'll reveal to us. And the, the word we use for that is prophecy uh, or the prophetic. And if you've got a question about what was happening earlier on, if you'd like to unpick that, uh, come and see me later so you're not wondering or worrying or thinking we're an odd bunch. We, we, we actually are, um, and that's okay. Um, but um, we want this place, I suppose, to be safe, a safe place where we meet with each other, where we meet with God, and often because of that we find uh, God speaks in very clear and directive and specific ways. So uh, if you'd like to ask me anything about that, um, come and see me later. Now, do we have problems, or will I keep going? We're okay? Okay, cool. Uh, well, I'd say that uh, one of the things you, uh, you will have noticed, if you spent any time in chapter one of Galatians this week, um, or um, did some of the additional reading that I suggested last week while we were together, one of the things that you will have learned immediately is that from the very first sentence to the last in this book, we are learning. There is so much going on. 
I had to really give very careful thought to what it is that I thought uh, got us to kind of reflect on together because there's so much going on in chapter one alone. So what I want us to do this morning is I want to have it reflect more generally uh, on some of the backstory that is going to help us understand and tease out what we're seeing here in chapter one. And I want to then give kind of specific, specific emphasis to verses six to 10. So that's kind of my plan. Uh, this, this letter uh, was written by a person uh, called Paul who was an apostle. I'm not going to speak at any kind of great length of, uh, about Paul this morning, uh, only to say uh, or to reference what, what we heard Elaine read in the text. Paul was an enemy of the church. He was somebody who was giving his, the best of his life to persecute the early church and the early Christians. And through meeting the risen Jesus, having an encounter with the person of Jesus, he finds himself thrust into this very public ministry as kind of like a father to the early church, a father uh, to uh, early Christians and young leaders who were coming up through the ranks, as well as a father to these churches, including churches cropping up, being planted in this place called Galatia, which is uh, a roughly modern-day uh, southern Turkey. So Paul is, he's traveling around on one of his very famous missionary trips. And if you're interested in reading a little bit more, particularly about these missionary trips, you can look at the book of Acts chapter 13 and 14. You see all the people, all the places, all the names in a little bit more detail. But he wrote this letter to those churches, to those people um, from a place of deep passion and frustration. And to get a sense of why, uh, we need to reflect on some of the backstory. The, the bottom line being that Christianity started in, amidst a small group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Uh, but from the very beginning, this is important for us to hold on to, from the very, very beginning of this process and the birth of the church, its message was always very much worldwide. It was always geared toward all of humanity. And uh, because of that focus, it very, very quickly spread. And so by the time Paul is on these famous missionary journeys, which is, we, we believe, between the years 45 and 48 AD, so not even 50 years after Jesus' death, Paul is doing these missionary trips. And by that time, there were as many non-Jewish Christian believers as there was Christian believers. And for some, that was a big problem. For some, that was a really big problem. And there was all kinds of debates that were struck in the heart of the early church. And you can read about those in more detail in Acts chapter 15. So 13 and 14 gets us all of this movement, the striking out, these missionary journeys, and then God starts to move and other people, Gentiles, non-Jews, start to become uh, Christians and followers of the way, followers of Jesus, and there was all kinds of disagreements coming up. So you can, uh, you can read that about that in more detail in Acts chapter 15. I'll explain these pictures in just a minute. So historically, God's people had always been focused in one particular ethnic group, which was Israel. A people who were set apart by the practices in a grouping of books called the Torah. Now, I'll explain a little bit more what I mean by that in a moment. They, would, they were defined by things like the circumcision of males, that's the knife, 
eating kosher, which is the, the pig, and by practicing something called Sabbath rest, which is this guy chilling with his hands behind his head. The thing is, is that the Jewish believers of Paul's day, ultimately what they believed was to become part of God's special family, you needed to become a Jew. You needed to observe the law and uh, the laws, the, all of the laws in the Torah. But I need to, I suppose, press pause there for a minute because before it, I, I might be guilty already of making uh, too many uh, assumptions. Some of us, most of us maybe, might be familiar with the language of the Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that sentence, the Ten Commandments. And this is stuff, I suppose, that's like good advice, good advice in life to follow. Don't take anyone's life. Don't steal what's not yours. Don't covet what's not yours. Honor your parents. <laughs> but what we might not know, sorry, darling, I'm going to pay for that later. Um, what we might not know is that the, the Ten Commandments were the first ten of 613 commands that God had given to the Israelites throughout the first five books of the Bible, ending with Deuteronomy, which are called collectively the Torah. The word Torah is usually translated into English as the phrase the law because it has all of these 613 laws in it. But maybe it's helpful to point this out, that the Torah isn't just, it should not be reduced to our understanding seeing it as just a list of do's and don'ts. That's totally to miss the point. Because the Torah actually is a, a very important story as well of how God longs to create new kinds of people who he calls into, invites into relationship with himself and into stewardship of his creation and loving one another. Some of the laws were uh, rituals and customs. I've already highlighted a few of those that would set Israel apart from other nations. And then other laws were things about social justice and issues of morality. And by following these laws, Israel would show the world something of what God was like. But, the, and there's a, a big but here, this was very much an up and down process for the people of Israel, living the way that God had called them, called them to was something that they really struggled to do. Can you relate to that in any way? Living the way that God called them to live was something that they really struggled to do. And if we look at not just the Torah, but the books of the prophets and, and beyond, what we see is this repeating cycle of relationship and rebellion relationship and rebellion. God would speak to them and invite them into new ways of living and thinking, and then they would rebel. They would forget who they were. They would forget who God was and what He'd asked them. They would worship other things. They would put other things in His place. 
And then they would come to their senses and there would be a prophetic person who would speak into the lives of the, the, the entire community and then they would realize the error of the way and God would speak again and give them more commands and more laws and then the cycle would continue. They would forget again. They would disobey his commands in some other kind of way. And this process continued over generations. But at the end of the Torah, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives this really famous speech. And in, in the speech, if you want to go and read it, Moses, standing before the people, teaches, I know that you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to live in light of what I've asked you to do. The problem, Moses goes on to say, is that their hearts were hard. And they were going to need transformed hearts if they were ever going to truly love God and others. The bottom line is that the law in and of itself wasn't enough to make them right with God. Enter Jesus. Where Israel and the law failed, Jesus would bring this cycle of relationship and um, rebellion to an end. And we know from something that uh, Jesus himself says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 17, if you're interested to go back to it, he says that one of the reasons that he came, he knew, central to his, his call and his identity, he had come to bring an end to this cycle of relationship and rebellion. He had come to, in his words, to fulfill the law, the requirements of the law. And through his life, he would give us an example for our own. Jesus fully loved God and fully loved the world. And he had come to do what Israel couldn't, to show the nations what God was like. Through his acts of compassion, his mercy, his healing, and ultimately by loving his enemies, even unto death. And then with that, in, after his resurrection, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit on the church, on the early disciples. And in that moment, going back to what Moses says, their hearts were transformed to live in light of who Jesus was in the power of the Spirit. So in light of all of this, one of the central elements to what Paul is teaching us here is that there is no longer any need for the law. Following Jesus' example in the power of the Spirit is the way that we're called to love God and to show the world what he's like. Now, the interesting comparison between then and now is a little frightening. There was people back in, in Paul's day, and they really struggled to get a hold of this message. And I think sometimes, even now, still, there are believers who struggle to keep a hold of this message. If anyone ever tells you that you need anything other than Jesus, run for the door. If you ever hear me say that, come and question me. I can remember when I was a teenager growing up, somebody saying to me that I needed Jesus and. That's not a good way to start a sentence. All you need is Jesus. 
All you need is to follow him. All you need is to build your life on him, to, to put him at the center. And this is where we get into the text. Why don't we look at verse 6 together, if you've still got it open in front of you. Paul writes, I am shocked. I am shocked that you're turning away from God. And he goes on, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. And we're into verse 7 at this point. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. How was it that they were doing that? How were they twisting this message of Paul's about Jesus? And what happened was this. Jewish Christians had come down from Jerusalem and they'd come to the Galatian churches that Paul had planted and, and birthed and started. And they were bad-mouthing him. They were undermining his teaching and authority and all that he had been building by insisting on the circumcision of all of the main believers. And some of them believed those who had come from Jerusalem, and they entered into that. And Paul is furious about this. If you look at verse 8, you can see that. It's pretty strong language. Let God's curse fall on anyone who preaches a different kind of good news other than the, good, the gospel we preach to you. It's pretty strong language. Now, I want you to look at this picture for a minute. I, I took this picture outside our um, bedroom window this past Wednesday when I was working on my sermon. This is the front of our neighbor's house. God bless them. They have been waking us up at 7 a.m. every sometimes six days a week for the last six months as they have completely gutted their house. I don't know if you've seen this or experienced it beside you. Marion will know this, having had to look at it for however long across from her house. But it's not just, uh, you know, going in and, you know, taking the wallpaper off and maybe doing the, they literally, the whole side of the house was missing. The whole back of the house was missing. And it was weeks and weeks and weeks of drilling. So bad, so, so often, that we just literally couldn't be in the house on a day off or we would leave the house at 8 a.m. and not really be able to go back till 6 p.m. It was horrendous, it was awful. I forgive them in Jesus' name. <laughs> clearly, clearly I've got some more work to do there. <laughs> I've thought about my neighbors a lot this week as I've kind of reflected on this text because what's happening here in this text is a little bit like knowing my neighbors had moved out and had gone on holiday. They decided, oh, by the way, when the bad drilling started, they, oh, we decided to go on holiday for four weeks. So it's like me knowing they'd gone on their holiday, jumping over the fence and going to the builder and saying, you know what? I'm in control now. We're building something different, and we're not going to make just one single family unit. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to build two smaller family units. One unit is going to be for the special uh, people in the family, and the other side is going to be for the less special, and they're going to need all kinds of keys and special codes even to access the part that's available to them. Does that ring any bells? Can you imagine what my neighbors would think if they come home, open, you know, open the gates and drive into the house and realize that the, the plans that they had made actually did a totally different uh, foundation being dug and being worked on. I would say they would, probably wouldn't be too happy, right? 
possibly. I just, I wonder where Paul was when he found out what had happened in Galatia. I can imagine the conversation. We were told that you didn't know what you were doing, Paul. And we were told that we could get into trouble for building a Jesus community the way that you encouraged us to, building on Jesus and only Jesus. We were told that Jesus is the Messiah, yes, and that everyone is welcome in God's family, yes. But to be a part of the inner circle, they told us that we had to become Jews. We had to be something other than who God has made us to be. And we need to keep the law. And actually, Jews and Gentiles needed to be kept separate. Some people who were in, and some people who were kind of just tolerated on the periphery. It's a very, very different picture to the gospel that Paul had preached to them, and a very, very different foundation to the one that he had dug. And to see the more, I suppose, the specifics of the gospel that Paul preached, we need to look again at the text, verses 4 and 6, if you've got it open in front of you. I love, I love these, these words. I love the language of Paul. He's like this major, skillful orator. The gospel that Paul was preaching was that God had rescued us from the effects of rebellion. If you look at verse 4. He'd rescued us from this pattern of relationship and rebellion and this breakdown that wasn't enabling us to be in right relationship with God because of sin and the effects of sin within us and within the world around us. But that Jesus had come to do something decisively clear and necessary about that in the way only he could do that. And then this language here in verse 6. Jesus is central to calling us to himself. God calling us to himself through the loving mercy of Jesus. The bottom line is that Paul's gospel is centered on Jesus. It's not Jesus and, it's simply Jesus, only Jesus. Paul's gospel is built on Jesus, exclusively built on Jesus. There was no longer any need for the law. There was no longer any need for 613 commands and rules that are trying to help us to live the way that God had called us to live. That was obsolete. God, Jesus, sent, Jesus was sent by the Father to fulfill the, those requirements. We didn't need to do that anymore. We just needed to live our lives focused and centered on Him. Jesus is enough to make us right with God and to show us how to live, how to flourish, and to be fully human. Jesus' life is the only example we need. Now that's, at the very same time, in equal proportions, incredible and daunting, isn't it? Because it swings wide open the door. It gives us this sense that we all belong, that there's a place for every last one of us. But the expression is actually our lives looking like Jesus' lives. As far as, remo as far removed as we might feel in Dublin 2020, the year 2020, from this snapshot in the life of the, the ministry of Paul and the early church in Galatia, there are still a few points, I believe, where this text reaches right the way through to our context and cultural, um, spiritual climate, rather. 
Paul's encouragement here to be on our guard against anything that would draw us away from the simplicity of a life centered on Jesus. I think that's as relevant today as it is, as it was in Paul's day. And I find it fascinating, I don't know if you noticed this phrase, particularly in the New Living Translation, Christ's servant. He actually talks about it being very costly to follow Jesus, not attractive. If he, I think, um, where did I put the, thank you. I, have you got it in front of you? In verse 10, if pleasing people was my goal, I wouldn't follow Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. I've, I've had conversations with people like that. When I tell them I'm a Christian or I tell them I'm a pastor, now sometimes I can't repeat what they say to me, but they say, why would you do that? That's crazy. Why would you follow Jesus? That is mad. Has anyone ever had a conversation with a friend or a family member like that? It's just me. I need to do some learning from that. It's just me. I find it fascinating, though, in verse 10, that following Jesus, or as Paul pens it here, being Christ's servant was clearly as countercultural then and as unattractive in his day as it seems to be in our own, with our culture's high value on individual freedom, its increasing mistrust of received wisdom and things like, you know, the ancient texts of the Scriptures, the deconstruction of tradition, and this emerging social ethic of tolerance and self-definition. We are what we make ourselves as as the starting point, as opposed to a life centered on Jesus. Actually, my identity is that I'm a child of God. Those are very, very different starting points. The idea of a purer and less concrete form of Christianity emerging out of Christianity itself is not a new concept, and Galatians 1 shows us that. And I want us to return again in just final moments, if we look at verse 6, I think, to Paul's language about turning away. Because if, as Paul is suggesting here, it's possible for us to turn away from Jesus and living a life centered on Jesus, it is equally as possible to turn to and embrace a life centered on Jesus. And maybe that's something that you need to do this morning. Maybe it's something you know that there's something in your life that you've drifted from, the simplicity of that, and you need to turn back to Jesus. Or maybe you need to embrace Jesus for the first time. Either way, we would love to pray for you later. But let me ask you this, because I think this is what the text really serves us. What about you? Is your life centered on Jesus? Are you building on Jesus? Is He your foundation? Have you made that choice recently or ever before? Do you know God's loving mercy in Jesus Christ? Because we believe that that is something that you can know and experience 
and walk into today. You don't have to wait for a special time or a special place. That is something that is available to every last one of us this morning. And what I want to do, I don't want to try and manufacture anything or be manipulative anyway. I just want to make space and time for us to do that as a church. I want us to hear this message of Paul's about the centrality of Jesus, a life centered on Jesus, a life built on Jesus. And I want us to, if you're happy to, to choose that again for yourself, to choose it afresh this morning, or maybe for the first time to say, Jesus, you're first. Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to see your life as an example for mine. However countercultural, however costly that seems, I'm going to embrace it fully. So let's stand together and allow ourselves some space to do that.